what's super awesome is like when you're putting the wins on the board, nobody even gives, nobody wants to touch it. They're like, keep going, keep going. <laughs> nobody wants to talk to me. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On a road, let's travel, never looking back. That was pretty, uh, that was intense 45 minutes. Dude, sometimes you have high hopes for a guest. And, I, and on this podcast, I've been disappointed. Today was not that day, my friend. I loved that. I, I had a great time, honestly. We didn't even get to a, we got to like 20% of the stuff I wanted to ask him about. So we had Gary Vaynerchuk on the pod today. It was phenomenal. Whenever I leave, so I've, I've hung out with Gary maybe three or four times, maybe three times. Whenever I leave his presence, I do feel better. And a lot of people, and I'll admit, I was one of those people years ago, I would be like, oh, this guy's just some loud guy who's selling nonsense. He's totally the real deal. And I went to, we, we talk about it, but I went to a dinner with him one time and he talked the entire time. And <laughs> most people would be like, dude, what the hell? That was so rude. And when I left, I was like, I just want to continue listening to him. Right. I want him to continue telling stories. <laughs> I love his point of view. He's entertaining. He, that guy's intense. I love it. He does what we try to do. He's been doing it for a long time, which is business entertainment. It's the entertainment side of business where he, you know, he'll go to a garage. He'll, he'll make content that's like going to a garage sale, buying things for a quarter and flipping them for $28 on eBay and how that stacks up and how you can go from like, you know, $42 to $14,000 in a year if you just did this. And like, obviously he doesn't need to do that anymore. He's got this agency with you know, hundreds of employees. He's got, uh, you know, he's, he's got a bunch of stuff going on as far as his own business goes. But I like that he's been able to do what, what I think the world needs more of. It needs more business entertainment because like, why do I, why did I grow up wanting to be a basketball player? Cause the NBA was so goddamn entertaining. Right. And, uh, and so when you have entertainment, it's that creates inspiration and aspiration. So it ends up creating more founders in the world. Yeah. He was amazing, man. Um, and so I, what do, whenever what do we I talk about whenever I'm off with it, whenever I'm with him off the air, by the way, he's exactly the same. So there's not a, <laughs> there's no show here. So all right, we started off, I, we got right into it. In the first 30 seconds, I asked him, so I had been tracking this for a long time. When I was managing my business, I was trying to manage cash flow, and I was trying to understand how hard to push it. And I made a document from Gary Vaynerchuk about VaynerMedia. They grew to 1,200 employees. I tracked the revenue, revenue per head, over hundreds of interviews. I basically found where he said a clip like, oh, we have this many employees. And I asked him about it. So I asked him how he managed cash flow. Then we got into a really interesting discussion about NFTs. NFTs, a lot of people talk about them. I'm not like an NFT guy. Sean, you are. This was the one time I've ever had a conversation where it in interested me beyond just like uh, academic. Right. Yeah. yeah. He, he does a good job with making it, I don't know, like uh, tangible and, and like not making the big mistake, which is NFTs. Let me tell you what it stands for and how it works under the hood. It's like, no, no, no. I don't care how the engine works. I want to get in the car and go somewhere. So where does this let me go? And uh, I think he did a pretty good job of that. So we talked about NFTs. Uh, we talked about, um, you know, just some of kind of like the lessons learned, you know, going from like what he saw in the dot-com boom, because he was kind of like early in the game, right in 2000. And then he was there for like Twitter, Facebook, Uber, and he got in, he invested in Twitter, but he missed out on Uber, even though Garrett was one of his best friends. And then what is, so how did he take that learning and what's he doing now with it today? How does he take those learnings and, and apply them now? So we talked about that for a bit, but good episode. He, he, you know, he was, I don't know, super nice guy. 
uh, wants to come back on, I think we should have him on again for sure. I, I take a lot. It makes me feel happy that sometimes a lot of times people tweet at us and they say, I want to run through a wall after that episode or I want to go and accomplish something. I feel that way right now uh after listening to that episode i i felt like i was uh, a part of it more so uh as a fan more so as a participant i thought it was wonderful yeah you know it's when people say uh you know i'm I'm always late to work because when i'm driving and listening to mfm i gotta pull over and write shit down right like i yeah. can't let this idea go i gotta write this down that's uh that's when we do it well and sometimes we don't always hit that but i think we did it well on this one so all right that, that's the episode gary v enjoy Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Like, all right, are you weird or are you normal? And they're like, we're a little bit of both, and then they came out and did it, and it it, uh, it worked out well. I'm so just awesome. using an iPhone. Get the fuck out of here. Well, Sam's traveling now. So. Sam, you look – are you really? I'm in New York. This is just an iPhone. Oh, but so with the, the blurred out – why does it look so good? So, the so he got this app that basically t- uses your iPhone as like a DSLR, which is it's really cool. Awesome. It's well, called – It's nice uh, to see you guys. I hope you're well. It's called Camo. I'll give him a shout. It's called Camo. I think I paid $49 for it. It's awesome, man. Hope everyone's well. Um, so we have, uh, a lot to get into. Um, I'm pumped you're here. Um, can I, so something that I've, I've all, and we're recording now, something I've always wondered about how many people work at VaynerMedia right now? Somewhere between probably 1050 and 1300. Va- I'm sorry, X. So VaynerMedia is the so, biggest yeah, company. Yeah, I mean. Vayner, right. Cause we have gallery. We have, yeah. So I was looking, uh, I did some research based off of a ton of interviews, and I was like going through the headcount of how, how fast you grew. And I believe between around years number, um, number three and four, did you grow from like 30 people to 125 people? Yes, because in 2011, September of 2011, I kind of made the decision to go full-time Vayner, no longer what I would call full-time wine library, secondary Vayner. I made that switch and then the lighter fluid kind of went on. Dude, how the hell do you manage that cash flow for a company like that? Because I, yeah, I did, right. I did right, research. You know your shit, yep. Mm-hmm. And it was, tell me if I'm, I, I just guesstimated off some interviews. Around, I'm going to start at year one. Around five people, 20 people, 30 people, 125 people, 300, 550, 600, 800. Yeah. Is that a ballpark, right? Yeah, like if I if you were asking me and I was spitballing, guess who the fuck? You know, the first year was like we started in May of two thousand nine, so that that first half year, I think it was like six or seven. Then it might have been like twenty, and through all of two thousand ten, and then into eleven, it probably got to like thirty, and then that September two thousand eleven. What you'll appreciate this, and you've got this in you. There's certain people who I think are really, really good at top line revenue driving initiatives. What I think has been the balance of my life, and it's very similar to what happened at Wine Library, right, is because I'm able to create so much top-line rev and because I'm playing forever, right? Wine Library, my dad's family business, and Vayner for me is really for a forever business. Um, I'm just able to hire a lot, right? And then you just got to, you know, with retail, it was really easy, right? I was like, I knew how to sell wine. So like I was with 
with B2B, it took me a little while to calibrate like, oh, fuck, they didn't pay us. Wait a minute, why? (laughs) The bills do, like, why didn't you pay? But like overall, um, it's just staying in your shit, right? I think when you stay in your business and you know what you've got coming in and what is going out, you know, I'm not a CFO, like oriented CEO, but I'm also not a schlemiel. I always have a good sense of like, is this, are we going to be dead? I'm always playing to like, will this hurt me? Like, will I be in trouble? You know, I try to stay within those confines. That's, it's just crazy. I mean, did you have a line of credit from the bank? No, we didn't have a line. Of, so fucking wine live. This is where my dad's a fucking psycho. I was so undereducated because I was such a poor student and I was such a, sorry for this background noise. I'll go away in a second. Um, it was, I, my dad ran his fucking business with no line of credit which I love, right? It's old school immigrant, you know, pay with what you have. But it trained me because that business is even crazier. That business went from 4 million to fucking 25 in like 30 months, like so fast and inventory and payroll. Like, but I got so trained in playing within myself. We didn't have a line of credit for a long time. We, de- we definitely got a line of credit probably 2011, maybe in 2013. So, but the first four or five years and in the, in the pocket you're talking about, which is very much more, um, will resonate a lot more with people on the call who've got it, who are going to go through the seven to 17 to 77 to 277. It was more about um, just not spending what you don't have, right? Like, like it was just as simple as basic being a businessman. Like, hey, we just landed this account. They're paying us 480 a year. It's fucking, you know, Mondelez or Pepsi. You feel like they're going to pay you. You feel good. Yeah. It's not going to, you know, and it's like, okay, now I got 480. I'm going to hire these six people at 40K a piece. I feel good with, you know, it was like very like back of the napkin. What's funny about it is, and you know this, and I think this is where, you know, as when you were on the podcast, we hung out at outdoor dinner. Like every time I come, there's something about just like street business Versus like, I find myself laughing that like mine can be like intuitive and back of napkin. And yet people that are like all about learning and Excel sheets and doing it proper and fucking SAP and clouds, you know, they have all the software, like get fucked up. It's because they don't have a good pulse of their actual business and they get ahead of themselves and lack patience. Yeah, it's just like when you're growing that fast, it it, it seems like like you're kind of playing it maybe month by month, maybe quarter by quarter where I would be, I mean, it just, I, I, I would go to bed at night wondering, like, I hope this client doesn't bail. Otherwise I got to lay off yeah, 20 people. I, I think, I think what was happening was we were selling. So this, and I think I, you know, it's so funny. I was very long winded. I think I had the answer when you are selling at a level that people are not accustomed to, like when you're outpacing normality, it just fucking selling hides everything. You know, when I'm landing fucking client week after week, like, you you know, you start getting into a place where you're just outpacing vulnerability. That's always a question I had. Sean, do you want to give him um, an update on, I mean, I jumped right into that because I've always had that question about managing <laughs> Sam's cash Sam's been like sitting on that question for two years or something. I have because been. He didn't say hello. He didn't say what the podcast is you, fucking about. He's you know, like, you know what hey, how, when you scaled, how'd you manage cash yeah, flow? <laughs> you know what's funny? I've gotten to know Sam through my podcast and a little couple hangouts. Uh, it makes sense to me because I think Sam's really good at what he does. And, right. he's, and he lived that life and he knows he did it super well. And he knows what the anxiety and like the challenges are. Like it, you can, you know, I always say you can only, my favorite people to talk to are the people that know. 
Like I love talking to people that know because they've lived it, not because they read it. It just makes it so much more fun. It's the same way I feel like when I talk, like I love sports, but I fully know when I'm talking to an athlete, I don't know. Right. I don't know what you know. Like. I, yeah. I did That's this, uh, this thread that went viral on Twitter. It was about clubhouse. And I was like, you know, this was when clubhouse was sort of peaking. And yeah. I, I said this thing, I was like, it's kind of unpopular because you know, why shit on a startup? You know, it wasn't my intention, but I said, everybody thinks clubhouse is the, the next big thing. And I think it's going to fail, but here's how I think it's going to go played out. And I kind of wrote it like an episode of Silicon Valley. Like I wrote it like a, like you're the CEO first, you know, Chris Sock is texting you, this is happening. And I wrote this thing and it went viral and ended up getting on CNBC. It has like, I don't know, tens of millions of impressions. And people were like, oh man, you're a good writer. And I was like, I'm not a good writer. I fucking, I built this thing called Blab that was very similar to Clubhouse. Mm. And I went through this run and I was getting all this shit. It wasn't anywhere near Clubhouse, but I, yep. you know, their, I their hump it. was higher. I remember. I remember. Yeah. And, and so I was like, you know, I, I, I went through this exact pain. And so I'm just literally telling a story I know of myself and I'm exaggerating a little bit to make it funny. And it has uh, nothing to do you, with writing. You know what's so crazy about that? I don't know if you can see this. Do you see the goosebumps? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of how I think why I'm a good content producer. I literally stay in my fucking lane. I may say the same shit 8,700 different ways, and that's a little <laughs> bit of my talent. I'm good at incorporating contemporary pop culture, slang, nuances of the day. But the reason I think it works for me is similar to you. Like, I, like I have so much conviction in my shit Cause I'm not guessing out here. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, I was watching your uh, trash talk video on the way here. So if you, people haven't seen it, go to, go to his YouTube. It's a fun series. Actually. I was watching, I was like, I bet this hits. I couldn't see cause I was driving. So I'm listening to it and I'm like, God, this is good content. I was like, I bet this video hits. And of course the views were pretty high on the it. View, for, it's me, basically, for me and YouTube, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's by far my best show. It's right. my best content. Um, Immediately. You know, I was like, know, I'm hooked. And, and do you know why I made it? Be, no. Because I listen to my audience. I read my comments. I read my shit. So what was right. super awesome was I started getting a lot of emails from people saying, yo, you're awesome. I love you. But like this whole like, yeah, you put a $25,000 check into Twitter. They're like, that doesn't work for right. me. I don't have 25000 right. I'm like, you know, cool. Let me go even further back in my origin story. What did I do when I had dick shit? I fucking fl- went, went garage sailing on Saturday and sold that shit at baseball card shows or other flea markets on um on sunday right wait, wait like, by the way it, it's more fun so i i, I just sold thirty five hundred dollars worth of old computers and i got more joy having that thirty five hundred dollars in my venmo than i did 20 million dollars in my this, this this brother is everything that i believe i believe the reason i like stuff it's easier is i'm in it for the game i'm just like you i could there is no comparison to how i feel when I, uh, in my last episode, I don't know if that's what you're watching, I found a bunch of Magna. That's Japanese, the one I was watching. Right. So for $270, I bought what ends up being about 6400 in eBay post fees sales, right? It's crazy because it's like the thrill of the hunt. Well, like it was well, more well, fun. E- even before that, right? So I watched my drive home from the bank to get to, to get home. I didn't get to that part yet, but I saw that was the title. So the, the the you know some people are like oh that's cool you buy something for two seventy yeah. you sell it for six grand, the part that I was blown away by was the part I was watching you went to twenty fucking garage Cold. sales in a day, 
and I was just thinking to myself, two things. I was like, <laughs> he made the most kind of like this, this channel, this show is basically the most approachable version of entrepreneurship. Like yes. we, we do these segments on the show that people love. That's called, uh, we'll do the Billy of the week, which is like a billionaire that we profile, but sometimes we'll do the hillbilly of the week, which is someone who owns 22 vending machines. And we break Whoa, down how much money they shit. make. That's fucking so uh, smart. Another one we do is called the blue collar side hustle. It's like, here's something you don't need to be a genius for. Cause sometimes I go off on my crypto shit and I'll be like, Oh yeah, this is the future. But then sometimes it's like, Hey, you know what you should do? Bro, like go door to door. You're the same pest control leads. I you know, love Billy Hill. Love I love Billy. That, that's so fucking smart. By the way, that's what I'm living right now. I'm like, can't function because I literally like looked at my calendar today and I saw we, I had this podcast and obviously you guys have done a great job and I'm like fired up about it. But like literally in the back of my brain, I'm like, man, I hope they got caught up or something. Because if I get back that 45 minutes, right. I can go more on OpenSea and do a little more research. Like, <laughs> I'm so enthralled right now in NFT life that I'm like every meeting, I'm like cutting five minutes short to like, like I'm just, but meanwhile, equally, the only other thing that's got me juiced is garage sale education because I right. know it can help people and I love it. It's the same game. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives that I thought was pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DDC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Do you, know, so you, um, do you know American Pickers? I know that show, yes. So I used to work on that show. I used to work for Mike Wolf, the main guy in that show. Is um, that the guy who, uh, is that the taller guy or the chubby guy? The tall guy. guy. The yeah. tall guy. Yeah. And yep. the way it worked is he would go from garage sale to garage sale, or not garage sale, barns, uh, and he barns, would buy stuff. Yes. And we would buy like some cheap stuff, like something we could sell in the store for 50 bucks. Then we would buy some like a old motorcycle that doesn't work, but it's art that we could sell for 20 grand. And all these people would come in from all over the country to the store that I helped to run. And we would probably sell $5,000 worth of items, but we would sell probably 30 grand a day of t-shirts. And Brand. this freaking Love business it. crushed it. Love but um, Sean, you want to talk about some N NFT stuff? Because so sh I know that excites both of you. It excites me too. Um, Are you starting to get into it, Sam? Are you like digging in a little? No, I, I am. I'm into it. Sean told me what it was like a year ago, and he bought like mm -hmm. some really cool Kobe stuff. And I went and got a. I, I thought it was badass. And so, but Sean's like really into it. I think he's got a ticker behind him that you could see. <laughs> yeah, no, this is this is just you know my own little. I motivate myself with my own motivational quote every day or whatever. But. Nice. I do have this programmed up where it can tell me the price of whatever, you know, Ethereum or, you know, uh, whether it's a, some altcoin or in this case, I start, I met the founder of Nifty Gateway and I was mm -hmm. like, dude, uh, first his story is hilarious. I don't know if you've met them, but it's two twins. Oh, the, um, Tyler? The no, so they no, got, the, it's two twins that built Nifty got Gateway. They got acquired by, oh my by God, the two twins of Gemini. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> and so he, this was like pretty early in the wave of like yeah. NFT started getting hotter and hotter. What they did, which was smart, was they said, look, NFTs have value because they're scarce. But the problem is anyone can make a print of NFT tomorrow, which is like the fun, but also the, there's like an abundance of scarce objects now, right? Yeah, supply and demand. And so, like there's such an incredibly fascinating supply and demand game going so on. What Nifty started doing was they were kind of like, look, what we'll do is we'll be like Christie's. We'll curate. So we'll find the best artists on Instagram and we'll bring them on. And they've been building up this 
you know, Beeple did their thing, yep. I think, through yep. through Nifty early yep. on. They've been building up a following for 10 years just doing free art for the love of the game on Instagram. And now that there's a way to monetize that audience, monetize that art, they can bring it over here. And yep. so I bought this like Kobe, you know, the, the Forever Mamba. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But basically, I was telling Sam on the pod, I was like, yeah, I just bought this thing for $800. And, you know, he goes through the cycle everybody goes through, which is you bought a file? Like, what? why are you buying JPEGs? Like, what's that going to do? You spent $800 on this? And I was like, yeah, actually, I bought five. He's like, you bought five copies of the same fucking thing? And, you know, those sell for 10, 10 to 25K now. And so um, that was my first flip, basically, my version of the, and the digital yeah. garage sale, right? Yeah. That's why I'm so addicted, I think. Like, I'm, addi- I'm addicted to the digital garage sale. And so give us like your simplified version of the thesis. Cause some people kind of like, some people love this shit. They're in the weeds. Some people just sit there and eye roll. And then the truth is that there's something really exciting going on. And then there's also a bunch of shit that's going to go away in a few years. Like it'll all get swept oh, under the rug. So I mean, give I've, us your take. Yeah. I've been, you know, I'll just, well, I'll, I'll give you the micro thing on that. I think 98% of the current projects go to zero. Right. Like, I think it's very, it's, it, to me, it's the most similar thing to, uh, web internet stocks 99 2000 that i remember i remember being there i really like i i was me young so i wasn't as experienced and didn't have as many pattern recognitions and reps but i had a lot of the good ingredients right and i remember sitting there and saying man a lot of these businesses make no sense (laughs) like just no sense i'm like how can they be worth this much money they're losing so much money and i and i didn't understand wall street so i wasn't Sure, but when the affirmation of March and April 2000 came along and most things got smoked out, it kind of was a monumental moment for me because the only stock that I bought was Amazon. Hmm. And, and, and because I really thought it was like a real business, even though it was losing money, it was losing money in a different way than other things. It had an actual business, like back to right. <laughs> how Sam and I started, like revenue mattered. Like the other ones didn't have fucking revenue. Right. You know, like no customer gave a fuck. And I'm always like, does the customer care? So. What do I think overall? I think people are grossly underestimating NFTs. I think right now people think of them as collectible and art and flip game. And for a lot of us that have that American picker garage sale sports cards for me, like, and there's a ton of people that love that. Like that's, that's why half of wall street, that's where they go. Like there's a lot of those people and that's amazing. And that's big. That's a big industry. Like over the next 15 years, big collecting, flipping, you know, you've got an entire generation of kids that go on Fortnite and Madden and 2K and buy digital assets to flex. So that's going to fucking play out. But I think that's just a nuance of NFTs. I think people misunderstand the utility nature of smart contracts. I believe in the next 15 years that, that nobody writes a book with a publisher. They do it through an NFT infrastructure. I believe that in 15 years, Nobody launches a record label by having a, a, a record a, a record by having a record label give them the bag. They're going to get it from crowdfunding by selling NFTs and giving a percentage of royalties. I and, believe and- that there's not a single sporting event or concert in ten years that the ticket is not an NFT because there's no incentive for that organization and that artist or people to launch it as anything but an NFT because a QR code or a piece of paper means nothing. But the NFT, if Luka Donich drops 100 points in that game, that becomes a forever collectible. There's a trillion fucking dollars worth of, of ticket stubs that have sold over the last 25 years on eBay. Do you know, that all goes to royalties to the person. That, so what's really fascinating to me, uh, I'll give you a weird one. If you own a home that is wildly unique and is a $25 million home on a beach or something wild, right? You NFT that 
fucking home right now, put into the smart contract that you get 1% of every transaction of this home in perpetuity. And the first person that's going to buy it from you is going to be fine with that. They don't give a fuck because these things are long leads, right? You buy it, you sit on it for 13, 15 years. So like there's so much that NFT blockchain realities are going to bring that I think people are underestimating it. You want to, you want to, yeah, go ahead, Sean. I'll tell them this idea we had. Great minds think alike. A few it. months ago, a few months ago, we're we're shooting the shit before an episode, and we, we don't tell each other what we're going to talk about. It's like, yo, I'm bringing oh, three, awesome. I, I'm bringing three pieces of heat. You're going to react to it. <laughs> I got to know my shit. You have to be able to react, and that people like that. that. People That's like the reaction. So people it's already know. Yeah, it's like, fuck that. The worst part of a podcast is, hey, do you know this? Yes. Okay, well, let me explain it because I'm not actually asking you, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm asking yeah, yeah. the audience, right? I'm yeah, trying yeah. to present this here. So one of the ideas that I brought on was that I noticed that Michael Jordan's house had been sitting on the market, has sat on the market, his house in Chicago, that's got the 23 emblem on the gate. It's got like a basketball court inside, got everything. And uh, it's been sitting on the market for years and the price has been dropping. I think, I don't know what it started at. I think something like 20 million. And then it went down to 15, 14. And it's like, so I came hey. on the pod. I was like, dude, I think we could buy Michael Jordan's house for $10 million. Wow. And I was like, you know, so we could kind of like do the, the you know, the way that normally somebody would do this is, all right, do I have that kind of F you money to go buy Michael Jordan's house? My wife doesn't kill me. Or do I go, you know, like raise a fund amongst, you know, a yep. few back alley conversations at dinners with some yep. folks who are rich. I said, or oh, we could just get this podcast. We could crowdfund $10 million. Yep. Assume, and we could basically fractional, you could do fractional ownership either yep. through an NFT or yep. on Rally Road or whatever. Yep. I was like, let's buy Michael Jordan's house. And we started, and this went viral a little bit in our world. Like, in my head, you listen to every episode religiously. It hits your phone. And <laughs> you, you say, cancel, you know, clear my calendar. I need to go listen to this. I know you probably didn't, but that was an idea we had a few months ago. So how would that play out in the now, NFT world? So walk us through but, that. You guys, and now it sounds like it went viral. And you, like, that's exactly what should happen. Like, I think that's, you can't imagine. And I'm a man who tends to, like, I don't love that many ideas. Right. Really, I mean that. I love execution. I think a lot of people can execute a B and C idea and do great. But to say I love an idea is rare. And that's why I think I've done really well. Like I really bet when I love something and it's worked for me. And I've lost sometimes because the executor couldn't do it. Yo Bongo right. was my favorite investment. It was a precursor to Tinder in a lot of ways. Caleb and the team there just couldn't get it there. They didn't execute it, which is okay. But, but when I tell you I love the idea of buying Michael Jordan's house so much because I know that you can literally arbitrage it in perpetuity. Like I, you guys are people that can garner attention and promote. So it's worth so much more to you than somebody else. I could see the entire entrepreneurial ecosystem renting out the basketball court game. Like, like you can run a real business. Now, Now, back to my big point about unique property. I think this is going to change the real estate industry. The fact that you could put, you guys are young dudes. You put a 2% royalty in perpetuity on that home. You sell it to the next person for 9 million, let alone 12 million, right? Let's just play. You guys are locked. Your great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren are like, our fucking great-great-great-great-grandfathers were fucking geniuses. We just got a fucking $800,000 check in the mail or 80,000, whatever it ends up being. I do think in the next five years, there will be an aha to what NFT blockchain smart contracts mean. And I think it will trickle into real estate. People will buy unique properties 
And I think they're gonna make incredible in perpetuity monies that maybe they themselves won't get the crazy, cause you know how often the houses turn per right. se, but man, it, listen, if you're listening to this right now, listen, if I, I've got a real good sense to who listens to this cause you guys got a lot of fans. You are either there or you are spying to be there from a professional standpoint. Right. For the people that are listening right now who've been fortunate, and we're sitting in this weird moment right now because of crypto and NFT, where there's some people that have really come into some real money in like um, making a very smart play. If you're sitting with some money, you know, these are the things you're thinking about. Like, what can I do that like is fun for me, but also leaves for my generational wealth? I want to do shit that still is good. Like the house is perfect, right? Because it'll be right. fun for you 16 or two or nine weeks a year, but you're also creating something that's an asset. Let me say it one more time, in perpetuity. Right. Like once it goes on there and gets NFT'd, it's NFT'd. Right. It is a contract. Like there's the ABA team. Do you know this story about the ABA team from St. Louis? No. The NBA and the yeah, ABA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know this, Sam? This is epic. They merged the leagues. The St. Louis team is out and the fuckers are like, fuck you, we're not signing the deal. And so what they did was, they, they was like, I don't know what the finite details were, but they needed them to sign off to make the merger happen. And they tell them that your franchise doesn't advance because we're folding some. They, they, they fight, they fight, they fight because they really loved basketball. They're like New York, like Schmata guys who bought like TV, right? At the end they go, okay, well, if that's the case, you have to, we have to be treated financially as the, at the time, the 26th or the 22nd or the 24th NBA franchise. And in perpetuity, we get the economic split for that. So we're out of the league, but economy that we get it. And so as the league, they, exploded, they, I mean, yeah. I think they made like a billion dollars or something. It was two, <laughs> I think, two, I think two brothers, kid, right? That's right. That's exactly it was, what it was. It I was think, two brothers. I think they I like think made like hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions when that was like a different number over those seventies, right. eighties and nineties. I do think they got bought out. Like the grandkids got bought out by the NBA, like in, before the last big deal. But like, wow. Unbelievable. Do I love you, that. Um, go ahead, Sean. I was just going to say, you were talking about NFT. Another, I think another NFT use case that why I like when talking about it with you versus like we've had a bunch of crypto heads on here, mm -hmm. you know, uh, super geniuses like Bology and others. Yep. And, you know, one challenge is if our audience is a guy who owns his own marketing agency in St. Louis, he's sort of like, okay, yeah, you what's know, this mean? yeah, like I don't want the totally. how, I want the what. What Correct. does this mean and what does it mean for me? To, to, exactly. And to me, when I talk about NFTs, I think about the fashion industry. I think about why somebody owns a Rolex. Right. I think about social media. Like, like, how about this? You know how everyone's like, social media is full of shit. Like, everyone takes photos and fakes it. You know what's going to be a much better social identity? What tokens do you have in your wallet publicly? Yes, dude, I, I was I thinking about this yesterday. Read on both of you. If I looked at your tokens, just look at my ETH wallet. Years, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like my public wallet is going to represent me because it's not only going to be like what I believe in, crypto punks. You know, my V friends collection. Like, but it's also going to be like all my Jets tickets. Right. And I'll give you a good one. I haven't mentioned Dave Matthews publicly in my entire life, but if somebody went in my, if this was going on for 30 years, I'd be like, like I, every day on Twitter, I'd probably get a, Gary, you went to Dave Matthews New Year's 99 Madison Square Garden? <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, my friend Tokyo Joe loved it. Like, like you know, it's a truth indicator. Right. And by the way, one last point. This is what really confuses people. Every, I'm gonna give you such a clear picture that I think will help people. Every one of you has an aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, friend, grandma. When you go into their house, 
They collect marbles. They collect little miniature elephants. They collect magnets. Every state they go to, they pick up a matchbox. Humans, humans are inherently hoarding assets. And we use them for ourselves because we like it. We get caught up in the nostalgia and the story and we use it to flex. Yep. Flexing a painting or your Winnie the Pooh collection that's epic in your house is kind of hard except for the people that come through. The blockchain is going to accelerate, accelerate at a scale. Right. The way I thought that it would accelerate communication with social, and that's why I think people are underestimating. The first internet collected the information. The second internet created the framework for communication, right? This third thing, this Web3 NFT thing, it's going to capture the consumerization of assets and the stakes are fucking high. And with your deal, the the new um the the Gary what, what was it called? V Friends. V Friends. You do you um you offer a, a conference a year. Are you gonna do that forever? Or is there a timeline on that? What I wanted to so my this is pretty interesting because I've I've done it in a couple of shows, but with you guys, it's it, people like this. So I do you want to host it at Michael Jordan's house? Cause we'll <laughs> let you do it. My friend, we listen, can help you host I'm it open. at Michael Jordan's house. Open, my guy, <laughs> listen. So for the hardest core consumers of my content, be friends made so much sense. Why? The amount of times I referenced Walt Disney and Vince McMahon character creation, I'm building X to buy nostalgic IP. I'm going to refurbish yep. storytelling, Saturday morning cartoons, all the shit behind me in my office, right? Like wrestling and Thundercats and Transformers. So I'm just so affected by pop culture and all that my whole life. And like, I wanted to buy like animal crackers from Mondelez and I was going to turn it into Madagascar. Like I've been like in this place forever, right? As a matter of fact, you know what BeFriends is? Two years ago, I was going to launch a toy line called workplace warriors were little desk toys right with what basically became these characters so for me i see nfts i have my i've been like kind of like flirting in the winter i have my crazy eureka like no 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 this is the fucking it it right moment i bought eth a long time ago aaron battalion shout out former cto of living social got me on in 2015 16 i've been watching but i wait to the consumer the normal shit the marketing agency St. Louis right. moment, not the fucking hardcore infrastructure nerd shit. That's just not my jam, right? So I go, fuck, man. I'm going to build the next Pokemon, Harry Potter, Transformers, but 99.9% .9 of the world is not going to believe me. So le let me launch this program and show people that you can do a lot more than just have pictures on it. Right. So to your point, Sam, like I'm like, uh, so the answer is it's a three-year contract. V Friends Series 1 says you get a conference ticket to VCon 2022, 2023, 2024, right? I'll figure shit out after the fact. But I knew that that would have such inherent value that people would lock in for that. But basically what I was trying to do was trick, this is the word I would use, trick my hardest core advocates by giving them an asset. I view V Friends, the original thing I just launched, as kind of like the original Disney cells. You know, those things that sell for like a drillion that were like the hand drew Snow White in the 40s. Like if I pull off what I think I can pull off, stuffed animals, toys, trading cards, movies, video games, over the next 40 years, this original NFT has real potential. And I wanted to create a thing that wouldn't make my biggest, earliest supporters trade it. You look at Bored Ape, you look at Mebus, you look at these epic projects that are killing right now, people are trading. I wanted, I wanted people to be locked in so that by the time the three years are over, they're like, wait a minute, I'm never selling this because I wanted them to benefit the most.
And the data backs this up. So right now, if I go on CryptoSlam, uh, if you, you guys don't know this, CryptoSlam.io, easy little aggregator of NFT projects. I think you guys are like number eight. Okay, so you're number eight. In the last and 24 hours. Last doing, 24, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's a 24-hour rolling scoreboard. Uh, but you, you, can do, top, you, you can do up top. It's got all the stuff. Yeah, so we can do like, let's say, 30 days. All right, so 30 days, you're number 12. Last 30 days, about 12 million of sales volume, of transaction volume. And the funny thing is, if you go through all the other ones, CryptoPunks, MeBits, all these, they have somewhere between thousands or tens of thousands, or you know, the top one, Axe Infinity, is quarter million buyers that are doing these number, doing these transactions. VFriends is like an outlier. It's like 300 people with 580 transactions. What that tells me is that there is a small group of hardcore people who are not looking to flip this rapidly for a quick buck because they believe in you, they believe in the utility value of the conference. So I like that because it's different and you're, this, you're pushing at, it at, more. At more. this point, I think I've been very aggressive at this. I'm like, do not bet against me. I'm gonna fucking build transformers. <laughs> like, you know, like, and I, so I think a lot of people are holding now more, you know, the conference is gonna be epic and I'm gonna come through, but I think, I think, I think they're betting on my propaganda well, right now and I'm gonna come like, through. It's like Bitcoin. Uh, the thing that gets it like, early days Bitcoin, mm -hmm. the people who bought in were because they were anarchist crypto nerds. Yes. It's like they, they needed to, you need the, the first people to buy in for one reason. That's and the right. second people, are, you know, the right. speculators. You got, you got it. And then it's like, once everybody's got the damn thing, we all it. speculated on it. Now we you can just it. use it as a medium of exchange. So similarly- What's, what's interesting about NFTs more so than Bitcoin today, and obviously things will evolve, it's just functional. Yeah. Like VCon makes it functional. Like they're about to get very functional. Right, like the, the the functionality is going to be extraordinary. Right, and so uh, so I like V Friends. I think V Friends is cool. I told my guy before this pod, I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to Gary today. Um, you know, let's pick up a V Friend. Like, go go get me one off the floor there. I appreciate. And it. he's like, cool. The floor price is like got at a seventeen grand now. I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> all right, all right. Let's. Uh, we don't like Gary that much. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I was like, I'm going to do it, but that is not what I expected. I was like, that's interesting. That really kind of like. Open my eyes. In fact, the last few days you've been seeing. So I want to bring back one thing you talked about, Please. which is your wallet is going to be a new type of profile. It's going to be a the new end. place to flex. It's going to be a new a, place a, to learn a, about somebody. In a, in a real way. Like, like the only reason I'm in is that. Right. And I then think, the other, I think utility social is going be, the other way. You can well, filter your face. You can do yeah, many things yeah. to get non-verifiable yeah. there. You, you know? know, you know, it's really interesting. The argument of like us controlling our narrative, because everyone's become the PR agent of themselves versus the black and white public data of what we buy. Now, don't forget, for everyone who's scared and loves privacy, you don't have to share your wallet. Right. It's just that my, my argument is I was there for MySpace 2004 when everyone's like, people are going to get raped at the mall and kidnapped. And you know, I was like, nah, I think it's right. going to go this way. And now it is, right? Everyone's in. I think that's what's going to happen with NFTs. Like you've got the hardcore people that I get on Zoom with, like just chopping, and they've got literally like voice deactivators and like screen right. saying, I don't know who they are. <laughs> I but love like those every, guys. <laughs> every day, the masses are coming, and they're in the public wallet, the rainbow wallet, the right. .eth world, and I think that's where it's going. You um, so you, you you've been talking about buying brands and putting them through Vayner for, I mean, you, in like year three, four of of the company. You, I mean, you've been saying that whole spiel for a long time. I first of all. You ha you haven't done it yet. When are you going to do it? And second of all, I think that this putting him through the the NFT thing is significantly better than the old model that I bet you were playing on doing of like, well, you know, we could put him through the the Vayner Media 
Machine. Yep. Machine. You you've got it. Like I mean, I would yeah. much rather buy yeah. an old like a '90s brand and do this because I'm looking at who the biggest uh, brands are on, on crypto slate. I mean, it's sports. It's sports companies. Yeah. I mean, I think you can do brands are going to be better. When are you finally going to execute on that and and pull the trigger? Because you've been talking <laughs> about it for a long time. I'm excited to see it happen. Come on, Jerry. <laughs> well, so, it's like no, it's like, dude. Why do you need yeah. fucking fifteen hundred employees still? Like. Uh, you built that it's, machine. Uh, it's badass. You'll, you'll, Do the other you'll, thing you'll, now. Yeah, you'll appreciate it. I think that's in, an incredibly strong observation from the outside. I just know how, you know, you know what? Like, it's a version of golden handcuffs. Like, instead of like selling your company, you have to be stuck or, or like you have a big salary. I just know I'm so fucking close for it actually being a Death Star versus like, yeah, it's a better badass machine than anybody else has got. Like, I feel that. Like, truly I do. I'm like, I got a better machine than the other fucking 500 people I admire that I think have this down. But it's like, but it's so, it's like so close to being two times better and four times better. And the way I scratched my itch was Resi, the restaurant app, which I had a major exit with. Empathy Wines, which like I was creating and now V Friends and like the V Friends thing is really fucking with me because I'm like, eh, you know, oh, by the way, Sam, you'll appreciate this. I had one executed four years ago, signed and they pulled out late and kind of had like a clause in there that allowed them to. And I feel good about this publicly. I had Animal Crackers bought. I mentioned it slightly quickly when I was talking. Yeah. I had it. And I fucking had the master fucking plan. It was a cookie brand. I was going to make it healthier to be on trend. But what I was really going to do was turn it into an animated film and build right. up, like, make the lion, like, fucking Larry the lion. Like, I was, it was kind of V-friendly. Now, listen, ultimately, I think I'm in a place in my career. I'm young enough at 45, have the leverage, have the infrastructure that I think I'm going to do a whole bunch of everything, right? I think I can build a studio like Pixar with V-friends at the forefront and do other shit. And I think I can buy champion when it gets cold again and refurbish it in 13 years because i like both of those things and i'm going to try to get them both how much could you have bought animal crackers for F 48 i think the deal was at at the time no shit yeah what was the revenue i hate making up shit i genuinely don't remember i remember the number pretty pretty oh, vividly do you remember around the multiple it was like nothing it was like I fucking nothing. like you're valuing the ip not the core business at no, that stage they were like just fucking it was dead they were like, right. we, like, they didn't give a, they, and like, and we were going to use it as a proxy to teach them how to do it with their, like, it was fucking set up. Well, you did it with, uh, well, Nilla wafers. Just, I mean, we, from a marketing standpoint, we crushed it there. And you know, I, I really scratched my itch with K-Swiss. K-Swiss right. was fucking finished, dead, done. What happened to him? Something they happened sold. recently. Yeah. Right? They, the, the they sold or... it to a Chinese apparel company. That's right. K-Swiss was at the forefront of that leverage. We fucking exploded. Not only did we sell a fuckload of Gary V sneakers, the residual effect on the brand was very real. That was That's the closest I've come to like testing my machine. Only difference was it was a fake test because I was so involved with it in the face. My plan is not to be that. As a matter of fact, v, the best part of V Friends for me is Gary V has been the catalyst for all the shit I'm passionate about, like work ethic, patient... I'm so pumped that I'm going to be over the next three years, be able to go a little bit more in the backdrop and let these and let these characters take over for me as I build that IP. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, Are that's what I was going to ask you when I was when I was watching this garage sale video. I was like, 
this is great content, but man, he actually had to go to 20 garage sales and I'm sure there's some fun to it, but also there's you graduated past that stage in your life. Well, and that, that's the biggest thing that pisses me off of my bougie fucking friends. They're like, Gary, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, fuck you. You, you, you go play golf and go on a yacht. I'm going to fucking garage sale. I'm not telling you what to do. Like, <laughs> well, you know, like even besides that, like I know, you know, just, I've done this podcast now for only I don't know, 18 months. Right. Yes. So, so we're, we're, we're new to the game, something like that. And there's a lot of benefits of building up this personal brands. Like, boom, I want to raise a fund. I raise a fund. I launch a course. I sell out, yeah. you know, like you can make a lot of money when you build a personal brand. You build trust with an audience yep. uh, by giving them, giving them, giving them, like, yep. you, like you say. And then you, you sort of have your ass later. So the, the part I thought was interesting is, man, he's been on this, what, you know, quote unquote, treadmill of creating content. You know, you're in your car, you're in your Uber going somewhere. Yep. You know, you got a you got a cameraman with yep. you, and you got to put out a soundbite for Instagram Reels because that's the new hot shit or whatever. And so, like, does are you? Uh, I guess like this is more of a personal question. Like, Sam wanted to know the how the hell did you manage the cash flow question. This is mine as like I see myself doing this content thing for a long time, but I don't want to work as hard as you as far as creating that much content. Do you do it because like it's fun? Do you do it? You know, are you? Do you feel like you're on a treadmill when you're creating yeah. this much content? This much Gary V. The answer is I only do what I like. As a matter of fact, like I'm not hitting all my my team and my quotas right now with my content these last two weeks because I can't stop being on Crypto Slam, OpenSea, Discord. Like you, you'd be stunned how how much I could shut it down or triple down. I understand the benefits of it and the leverage, and I always did. I always thought the community and brand was very underestimated in the last 10 years, I just feel like people are just getting around to like, oh shit, this is like the actual game. But I don't, I don't really, I, I enjoy it. I really do it. And I also did it a little bit different. I slowly, I did it by myself for seven years, but then I really built out an infrastructure of a team, right? Like to your point, like I'm, I'm just living and everyone's recording and then we're post-producing at scale. How many uh, folks are on the team? Right now, I think there's 22. And is um are you the majority owner of VaynerMedia or VaynerX? Yes. So then you're able to kind of um it's not like a VC thing where you're you're able to like use the same resources across all your shit. You don't have mm-hmm. to worry about you don't have to worry about pleasing everyone. That's right. Or like your fiduciary. I mean, your fiduciary is to your to yourself I and to your brother. Fiduciary, but like yeah, exactly. So like and so I'm I'm in heavy control. It's a long term play. I have no board. There's no. Yeah, not yeah, publicly yeah. traded to your exact point. I can like, um, it's very much just a very large family business. Yeah. You don't have to justify to anyone, but you and your bro. And what's cool about that is I don't have to my bro. Cause I've done super well by him. And more importantly, you know, I'm delivering like, you know, you know this, right? Like what's yeah. super awesome is like when you're putting the wins on the board, nobody even gives, nobody wants to touch it. They're like, keep going, keep going. <laughs> nobody wants to talk to me, you know? Did you do you pay yourself from the the company or do you just take all your side wins and it reinvest most of your your what would be your salary or income from the the brand back into the agency? Originally I paid myself very 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 little. It just is so much of the percentage of my time. So I've started paying myself probably over the last 4 years. Um but I'm still like wildly undercompensated in comparison to what I would feel like the God of merit would come down and she or he would say, yeah, you are like way on because it's kind of all cycling in the same game to your point. Sure. And do you um, like, do you look back? Cause I, I think you're excited about web three 
Yes. And you look back at Web 2. I know uh, you can quickly tell the story of missing Uber. You oh. know, your buddies with the guy, you miss Uber. That's a big one. <laughs> big one. What, what was, a, you, you tell that story, but also just in general, what'd you learn from the Web 2 wave that you're like, okay, Web 3, I'm better prepared because I've been I, in the I, long I, game. I love you for that question because the only thing I've been thinking about for the last nine months is like, damn, this is the first time I felt like this since 06. Right. The thing I learned there was I was going to meet a lot of people that were technically stronger than me, teach me new things, have incredibly fun, young, fucking on fire thinkers, different shit. The world is rescheduling, recalibrating. And that I knew that I understood the consumer and the human so well that I would figure out my path within it. I think like, you know, the thing I learned with, I've, I've told the Uber story at nausea. Travis is the only person I thank in Crush It, my first book, besides my family. We were incredibly <laughs> close. Um, what I learned there was defense always loses. I bought my first like apartment in Manhattan. I played so conservative up until like 35. Like I had no money, first of all, because I was building a family business. I just didn't have a lot of liquid. I had enough to make the Uber investment. I passed twice. And there was two things I learned from it. One, the full story is that when I was asked to invest in Uber, Garrett and Travis were just the inventors of it. And Ryan Graves was the CEO right. and was going to run it. And I had just failed in putting up a wine social network called Corked. And it was because it was a distraction to my core. And so I was affected by thinking that if this is their side hustle, it's not really them. Where totally I mean, reasonable, the, by the way. Totally reasonable line of thought. And you'll be right nine out of 10 times. The second one hurts because Travis came back to me on this. There's this grassy knoll. I have no idea where it is in San Francisco, like a little park. I drove by it like seven years ago and got like the worst feelings. I'm like, I have to go back here every year, <laughs> once a year for humbleness. What, I'll tell you, I, I want to, you know, I know we're going to be wrapping up. So let me give you the real, this is something I really hope helps a lot of people. I have completely gone the other way. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I am now completely infatuated with investing only based on the person. I have to hate. That would be the word I use. And I don't like that word. I would have to hate the person's idea to not go if I think that the jockey is a gangster. And it's worked out for me. There's a company called Micmac where I just saw Rachel, had one meeting with her, and I said, she's one of us, right? That's right. it. She's one of us. And she's pivoted four times. But the company is a monster now and is well on its way. And between the Uber thing and the Rachel thing, like it's kind of how I'm navigating Web3 right now. I'm really trying to pay attention to is this person one of us? Because right. I think there's something about a human's ability to will their way to the success, even if they have to completely change the business model halfway through. I love it. Well, we, uh, you were supposed to bounce uh, three minutes ago. We don't want to go over your time. I, it sounds like it looks like you're in the Hamptons and it sounds like someone's preparing dinner right now. Is that right? <laughs> Listen, is that right? You've got, you've got, you're in the kitchen. You have someone who is vacuuming and cooking dinner we're, right we're, now. We're, we're setting up infrastructure for the weekend. But listen, I, I, uh, let me say this. It's super fun for me to see this show pop from afar. Like there are not, you know, it's a very funny time in society where like, work ethic and the grind. Like I, I'm incredibly excited that we have a balanced conversation, but the energy of entrepreneurship is just such an important variable. And so I, I appreciate what you guys are doing in this space. And I'm not going to, I'll have to ask him if, if it's, if he's cool, if I blow up his spot a little bit, but me and Gary had dinner with like eight or 10 other people like two months ago. And I went back to this guy's house uh, about a month ago again for another dinner. 
we're gonna have to tell the story about this guy's house. It was, it was like the craziest house I've ever been to. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna have to tell, we're we'll have to tell the story time. one day. I'd listen, I'd love to come back if whenever you guys feel is a appropriate time for recycling a guest, hit me up. I wish you nothing but good and and uh, thank you for having me on. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like my days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Oh, yeah.